Welcome to the Future Charlotte Podcast. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. I've spent more than a decade studying Charlotte, first as a journalist and now as assistant director of the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. 20 years ago, this city looked radically different. No light rail, a smaller skyline, and breweries, what breweries? What will we look like in the next 20 years? That's what we're exploring on this show. Our guest today is Adam Williams, principal at Legacy Real Estate Advisors. Adam, thanks for joining us. Eli, so good to hear your voice. I feel like it's been a long time. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm, I'm super excited. It has been a while. How are you doing? I mean, it's uh, we used to talk when I was a reporter at the Charlotte Observer. Now it's been a while since we've caught up. How's your how's your COVID experience been now more than a year into this? Uh, I got to be honest, it's been it's been highs and lows. Obviously, I'm in the retail brokerage and development world uh, and commercial real estate space in the southeast. And uh, last March, everything legitimately just hit pause. Like I've got friends that are in IT and banking that were still working uh, like nothing had happened just from home. I was not I was not in that camp. Um, my business completely shut down almost overnight. I'd say I went from having uh, legitimately dozens of of deals in some form. Uh, my business deals take a long time to to happen. You know, my my average kind of deal time is probably anywhere from a low of five or six months up to multiple years. So I went from having dozens of deals in process to like pretty much zero overnight, um, and that continued for a while uh, to the point where I was doing a lot more kind of mountain biking and dirt biking with my kids um, than I was, you know, my, my typical, you know, phone surgically implanted to my, my face kind of head down working. So uh, that, that lasted for a while. I'd say back in uh, November, things started to pick up at a pretty good clip. December was busy. Uh, and ever since Christmas, it has been, it has been absolutely uh, flying again. So it, it's been a roller coaster, really uh, kind of blessed to be as busy as I am again. Uh, but I think a lot of that has to do with with what we're going to talk about today, which is Charlotte and just the momentum. So give me uh, give me kind of the brief bio. How did you come to Charlotte? How long have you been here? And what does your business uh, generally consist of in terms of the mix of clients you're working with and the, the goals you have with them? So I'm pretty rare in that I did not come to Charlotte by choice. Um, I was I was born here. I was I'm a Presby baby, you know, a mile from where I'm where I'm sitting right now. Uh, so I've seen Charlotte go from kind of a sleepy little town in the 80s and 90s that happened to have, you know, a couple of really large banks that that were kind of in the right place at the right time to to really change the way banking is done. But even with the the Wachovia and Bank of America massive institutions that were based here it was still just a small little southern sleepy town uh, so I've, I've seen it change from that to you know a city that wants to become a world-class city still considered a kind of a secondary or tertiary market uh, for what I do but that, that's changing literally daily uh, so I, my main business is commercial real estate. Uh, I am a principal at a company called Legacy Real Estate Advisors, which is one of the larger uh, boutique commercial real estate firms. When I say that, that just means it's not one of the massive international CB Richard Ellis, Cushman and Wakefield, Jones Lang LaSalle. We're, we're a boutique firm uh, based right here in Charlotte. So 
Uh, I'm a retail specialist. It's all I do all day, every day. It's all I think about all day, every day. Um, my typical business would be uh, representing an, either an institutional landlord. When I say that, that means kind of Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, just use the names that, that everybody would recognize. Um, when they have kind of a larger project, uh, especially like a mixed use project, and they want to make the ground floor cool, we call it kind of amenitizing the ground floor. Uh, I'm on a fairly short list of people you would call to do that, especially in really urban assets in Charlotte. I uh, also represent a lot of restaurants. Um, I've, I've owned and operated restaurants, developed them myself as well. So I know a lot about that business um, and blessed to be friends with a lot of the, the restaurant owners and operators here in Charlotte. So it's, it's a really fun business. So I didn't realize that you were a Charlotte native. My wife is as well. So I think I've, I've now met two. Yeah, I've now met two. That's great. Unicorn Club. Love it. So what is it about retail? I mean, why, why, are, you, why are you into that versus some other category? You know, it, it happened by accident. Uh, one of my current partners, Dave Sherhart, and I uh, both started working on retail. He came out of the restaurant world and... Um, I did not, but had a couple of restaurant contacts. And back in the financial crisis, would have been probably 2008, my business completely shut down. And the only thing that was still churning, the only deals that were still happening that I saw, I'm sure there are other deals, but the ones that I saw were second generation restaurants. Uh, when I say second generation restaurant, that just means there was a restaurant there before. And the infrastructure and what we call the back of house of restaurants uh, is extremely valuable. Everybody thinks the pretty chandelier and the pretty booths is where you spend a lot of money in restaurants. It's not necessarily the case. It's really a lot of the stuff that you can't see, uh, the kitchen, the HVAC and things like that. So those deals were still turning. Uh, we kind of joined forces and started doing restaurant deals. Then, um, you know, a woman got me to, um, do a restaurant blog, by the name of Lexi Longstreet. She owns a residential firm in town. She had the idea I should do a blog, which turned into this thing called Restaurant Traffic, which helped establish me as kind of the restaurant guy in town. And it just kind of snowballed from there. It wasn't, it was kind of organic. I, I didn't say like, hey, I want to be the restaurant expert in Charlotte. It, it just kind of happened. So um, I love that I found a, a niche. I would uh, recommend to other people that want to get into commercial real estate that they should do the same thing. Mine just happened to be by accident. So I think that you've been here your whole life and active in retail leasing and restaurants for well over a decade now. So you've had a chance to see a lot of the changes in this market. I mean, I think even when I moved here in 2009, this felt like a, a much less urban market, uh, much more suburban, much less of that cool factor. Mixed use still felt kind of new in a lot of places. I mean, Phillips Place wasn't that old. Burkdale Village wasn't that old. Still felt like kind of a a new concept for a lot of people. How have you seen that change and what changes have you seen both in the way that landlords and potential tenants are approaching projects? What, what changes have you seen? I mean, it's the changes are, are probably too numerous to, to mention on, on the podcast because it's really night and day. Uh, again, Charlotte was a sleepy town. And I'd say that uh, if you weren't kind of middle of the fairway restaurant, you know, corporate steak and potatoes, uh, kind of joint, you know, the, there, there wasn't a huge appetite. Uh, but luckily, Charlotte has become such a melting pot 
uh, that, I mean, people are moving here left and right. We, we made the joke about me being a unicorn because you don't meet a ton of local charlatans. Uh, but it's true. I mean, th there's people from all over the country, all over the world moving to Charlotte. And with that comes a really fresh perspective and a really fresh uh, kind of desire for different, right? So luckily we've had some, some restaurateurs and some landlords that have, that have taken some risks and started to do uh, some restaurants that aren't just, you know, your typical steakhouse. So I think the restaurant scene has changed massively. Um, I, I still don't think we're quite to the level of, you know, certainly Charleston and New Orleans and, and Atlanta and, and, you know, the, we still have, we still have to, to keep making strides. Um, but I, I think it's changed for the better, uh, in, in a big way. And mixed use is, is more of a function of, um, you know, land cost really. I mean, when you look at what's happening in South end, uh, I mean, the it's, it's, it's not necessarily the easiest deal to do, to do these really complicated, you know, high rise or mid rise, uh, mixed use developments. They're, they're complicated and they're risky and, and, and all of that. And they're expensive, obviously. Uh, but as the land cost keeps going up, I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to see more and more of that. And, uh, you know, structured parking is always a big hurdle. It's expensive and, and people don't always love it, but, um, it, it's, it's just kind of the, the way things are, are going to continue to be in Charlotte and until we're, you know, not driving cars anymore. So I think we talk a lot where I sit now at UNC Charlotte with people in the design world, the academic world, the architectural world about concepts like activating the ground floors, bringing a streetscape to life and doing something, you know, besides cars behind bars, you're out there actually making those deals happen and bringing those concepts to life. What are some of the challenges to that, that people who aren't doing it commercially might not see or think about? Because I think uh, a lot of times when someone from the general public walks down a street and they say like, man, this is a boring street. There's just a bunch of parking garages. There's kind of this assumption that like, well, maybe nobody wanted space there, or maybe maybe the developer was just greedy and didn't want to put space, uh, retail space there. It was easier to put parking, so they did more of that. So why don't we have always vibrant streetscapes everywhere? And, and what are maybe some things we could do to, uh, to improve that? The question sounds simple, but it's certainly not. Um, I mean, we, it would probably be more effective to take like case by case, right? Because there's just, there, there's not, it's not a round peg, round hole kind of thing. Like every parcel is different. Every zoning is different. Every, every requirement, every developer is different. So you have, you have a few things that go into that. One is, I mean, Charlotte is still a car dedicated city, right? The only neighborhood in Charlotte, arguably, and I'm sure some, some people would argue with me, that's fine, that is not car dependent is South End, right? Uh, it's almost harder to get around in South End in a car than it is on a scooter or, or, uh, or on a nice day walking around. Um, so you still need parking. Uh, and, if, and if you're coming to market with a, with a multifamily develop, development, and you don't have parking and the guy across the street does, you're going to have to sell against that. So parking is important. And um, not every developer is multifaceted, right? So they might suck at retail, right? And, and we call that uh, kind of like a top-down development strategy. Like, hey, I know I'm really good at office. I'm really good at 
resi. I'm really good at garden style apartments. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're an expert in vibrant streetscapes and, you know, doesn't make you Asana or Edens, which are two very, very intelligent, astute um, retail developers in town. So uh, just because you can build multi doesn't mean you can build retail. And a lot of these developers look at that as kind of a necessary evil as opposed to, you know, partnering with me or somebody like me that can, that can come in and say like, whoa, 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 let's, let's, let's pause on this. Like, yes, I know that you need 250 residential units to make this thing happen, but you know, let, let's stop and let's make sure that the ground floor is, is really, really well thought out and really well planned out. And the city can only do so much, you know, they're looking at hundred projects a day and, you know, they want retail or they want sidewalks or they want treescape. You have, a hundred voices or not a hundred, but a dozen voices at the city all saying like, we want this, we want this. So you're building all these things by committee when the developer a lot of times really only wants those 200 or 300 residential units. So again, it's not a, it's not an easy answer. Uh, but that's the real answer is that you've got some developers that don't want to do it and are only forced to by the city and are, are just going to put in enough. And a lot of times I get brought in in the 11th hour to to look at these projects and infrastructure has not been thought out the layout's not been thought out there's grade changes there i could i could bore all of your listeners to tears with all the problems that that go into making vibrant streetscapes so yeah let's 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 do that let's take let's take a few minutes and bore people maybe this is where they stop listening but like take a, a hypothetical project what are some of those challenges you run into what are some of the uh the issues that someone who's not an expert doesn't live this stuff day to day, won't think about, but that you see. Yeah. Infrastructure is huge. Size is huge. Um, you know, when these, let's just say that you want to do a restaurant deal because right now food and beverage, we have the saying that, that luckily food still doesn't taste good on Amazon, right? Like restaurants, obviously they've had a tough year, but, uh, I think that we're going to see a lot of re revenge spending and people that want to get back out and see and be seen and go to restaurants you know, you can only do so much DoorDash, right? Uh, so your restaurants really are carrying the torch for, for retail right now. Uh, food and beverage is carrying the torch for retail right now. So these restaurants, they look so pretty when you go in, they're not so pretty behind the scenes, right? You have, just think about everything that happens every day in a restaurant. So the first thing is you cook, right? So you have these, these giant hood systems that suck all the grease-laden vapor out of the out of the kitchen and off the grill and the fryers and everything like that while you're cooking that stuff's got to go somewhere it stinks it's gross and it has to get out so you have to make allowances for how to get grease laden vapor out there are I, I could really bore your listeners talking about pollution control units and scrubbers and all the things that you have to use in an urban environment to make that happen you need a grease trap same thing all the all the cooking waste that you have to have goes into this thing called a grease trap that's like the size of a small swimming pool. So you got to hide that thing somewhere. You need massive amounts of HVAC. You need one ton per somewhere between 100 and 150 square feet. So think about that in your house. You have a one ton unit in your house. That's nothing. That wouldn't even, that wouldn't even start the conversation in a restaurant. Electrical load. You have massive electrical loads that these restaurants take. Uh, I've seen restaurants that take, you know, 1200 amps of power to, to operate. So that's, that's more than the, your whole you know, block at your house needs. 
So, I mean, th these things are very, very complicated from an infrastructure standpoint. And a lot of times, even, even very astute multifamily developers aren't ready for that. Um, and then, then you have sometimes the city, you know, somewhere during the development process says, oh, by the way, you need 3,000 square foot of retail. And so the developer just has to shoehorn this in somewhere that it probably wasn't ever meant to go. I could sit here and talk about what makes a restaurant hard to, to uh, develop all day. And I, I really would put everybody to sleep. But those are just a few of the, of the major challenges that you're going to run into. When you talk about all that has to go into it, why, aside from the city saying sometimes, hey, uh, this project needs 3,000 square feet of retail, what's the upside? How do you talk to landlords, developers, and try to talk to them about, hey, this thing comes with more work, but it's going to bring more value to your project? Um, what, is, what does that conversation sound like? You know, it's, it's a conversation I have every day and it's, it's kind of the tail wagging the dog. Cause if, if let's say that you're building a hundred thousand square foot building and the cost and the attention and the skill it takes to develop 5,000 square feet of your hundred thousand square foot project is massively disproportionate. Right. But at the same time, you know, nobody wants to live in that building that you discussed earlier, that's cars and bars. And it's just kind of a boring building. People want to say like, Hey, I'll be ready in 20 minutes. Meet me downstairs at the coffee shop. Meet me downstairs at the, at the wine bar. Meet me downstairs at the X, Y, Z, right? It really comes into amenitizing the, the building. And, um, I think that that that's one big benefit, right? You, you definitely want to amenitize the building that you're in. You want to be able to, to sell that just like you want to be able to sell having parking and having a great location. The other thing is, frankly, is being a good steward of the city. Because once you build this building, they're very hard to unbuild. And especially in an important corridor like, uh, like South End, like Elizabeth, like Plaza Midwood, like Noda, uh, like East Boulevard, you know, are really kind of like the, the, the streets and the neighborhoods that make up the fabric of the city. That is nothing, nothing against Waxhaw. That's nothing against Weddington or Marvin or Huntersville or, or any of those places. But when we're talking about the heartbeat of, of Charlotte, you know, you, you talk about these urban neighborhoods and, and part of it is being a good steward. I mean, you look at what Edens has done over at uh, Atherton mill. I mean, that is, that's a, that's a really important retail development for Charlotte. Not everybody likes it. Not everybody wants to go to Barry's boot camp and people laugh at how expensive it is, but to be able to bring, you know, world-class retailers you know, to South end is, is a big deal. I mean, everybody laughed when they, when they said they were going to get an anthropology deal done and then they did it and then they backed up with free people in West Elm and Lululemon. And, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. So, not everybody is going to be as good of a steward, but I think it's important for these developers to understand that, you know, they have a responsibility to the city. And, and I'm not saying that, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not one of those guys that says that the city should, you know, go over the top and mandate all these, you know, neighborhood improvement plans and, and you know, some of that borders on extortion. You know, we, there's a lot of behind the behind the scenes conversations that happen that, you could argue are not free market <laughs> by any stretch, but, uh, but if, if you're going on an important corridor, you have a responsibility to the city. So future Charlotte, 
We got to talk about the future some, otherwise the podcast name doesn't make sense. Um, what do you see as the major changes going forward? What do you think are going to be the top trends driving retail development, food and beverage in Charlotte specifically? I think, you know, for a long time, we've seen a lot of growth. Uptown, there's been even a, a little soft goods there, a lot more food and beverage, obviously. But with COVID, I know there are a lot of question marks, and now people are wondering how many people are going back to the office. Online retail seems like it's maybe crossed some kind of threshold for acceptance with uh, with COVID. So what do you think are going to be the biggest trends driving um, your corner of the world and, and how it grows and changes in Charlotte specifically? You know, I, I think that a, a couple things. When you ask about Charlotte at large, I'm really excited to see what happens outside of South End, right? It's very easy for a guy like me to just focus on a neighborhood like South End because it is, um, it's just so dynamic for what I do. But I think that like the, the other corridors that are exploding right now are just as interesting to me for different reasons. Like the Freemore West Corridor, uh, you know, there, there's a handful of groups over there, you know, Matt Browder, Abacus, Lap Purser, there, there's a new group out of Atlanta that's doing some really cool stuff over there. Um, I mean, that corridor is incredible. Plaza Midwood, I think, is about to hit just a, a completely different gear uh, with what Crosland and Naveen are doing over there. Um, I think that you know another light rail spur could could just absolutely blow the top off another part of the city. Um, so I, I think that it's fascinating to see other areas that might not be as in the, in the middle of the spotlight as South end continue to start to have their, uh, their time at the party. So I, I think that that's going to be really interesting. The second part of your question about retail specifically, um, you know, this has been a massive accelerant like COVID from, I, I get the opportunity to talk to brilliant people about retail every single week, um, on my podcast a shameless plug, retail redeveloped. Um, and it, it's fascinating to me that this has been a three to five year accelerant in a COVID that is, um, in a, in a market that was already accelerating and changing it at warp speed. So anybody that tells you that they know exactly what's happening in retail is, is trying to sell you something. Uh, but it, it is changing in a, in a, in a massive way. But I think Charlotte is really well positioned to deal with that because we do have this more and more metropolitan, young, affluent uh, customer base that's, that's living here and moving here every day. And I think that these urban centers are, are going to continue to, to blossom. I would love to have the, the DTC brands, the direct to consumer brands, thank like Warby Parker before they rolled out um, all birds, you know, all the Everlane, like the, the nouveau, you know, cool kids kind of brands. Um, I, I think that we're going to have a retail renaissance with some of those guys starting to spread their wings and, and, and do brick and mortar stores. Um, but I think these, these urban centers are going to be, are going to be really exciting. I think the neighborhood centers are going to be exciting because, you know, some, some things you just can't get on Amazon, right? Some things you just don't want to get on Amazon. Some things you want to touch and feel. And I think retail is always going to have a place uh, especially experiential retail places that, that act as, as kind of a, a, uh, 
brand influencer or an immersion kind of point for a brand, I think is going to be really exciting. Um, so I, not to say that I'm long on, uh, B and C malls. That's those guys have a lot of, lot of work to do and a lot of them aren't going to make it. Uh, your, your big power centers out in the suburbs where you have, you know, two kind of redundant stores within a couple miles from each other. That's, that's going to be a challenge. You could definitely make the argument. And I would probably agree that we're over retailed, especially in a lot of the suburbs. So there's going to be contraction. There's going to be some bloodletting, but I, I think that, that it, it's still going to be really exciting to watch and, and retail's not dead. The whole retail apocalypse clickbait kind of thing is, is overblown. Um, and you know, although it's changing fast and a lot of people are going to get, um, get hurt, it, it's, it's not, it's not going away. Yeah. I think, um, that sounds right to me because I can picture, you know, kind of in the South Charlotte Monroe road corridor where I am several struggling, uh, kind of centers with redundant retail around here, stuff you could just as easily get online, right. commodities. But at the same time, there are things like uh, new breweries growing. There right. are places you can walk in, meet a friend, have a cup of coffee, maybe buy something that's local or different. And those seem to be doing really well. So, yeah, I, I could see more of a divergence continuing there. 100%. One thing that's kind of surprised me throughout the whole COVID year, year plus we've been in is, you know, I kind of expected, frankly, more restaurant closures than we ended up seeing. Uh, it seemed like, especially at the beginning when stuff was, you know, just totally shutting down for, for a while in a lot of cases that, you know, I was thinking, man, how are, how are any of these places going to make it? And it doesn't seem like we've really seen as many permanent closures as I think a lot of people were fearing in Charlotte at the beginning. What's your take on that? And have you been surprised by any of that? A little bit. I mean, if, if you, it's, we're, we've certainly fared better than a lot of areas in the country, but we opened up a lot sooner than a lot of areas of the country. I mean, I have a lot of clients in Manhattan and when they, when they've come down over the last few months, like they're like walking around with their jaw open because, you know, there are people out living their lives and, you know, it, even if they're doing takeout at a coffee shop with a mask on, they're still at least open and, and trying to survive. So I think that, that Charlotte survived a lot better than, you know, certainly the Northeast or the West coast, uh, those guys you know, absolutely got hammered. So we were lucky there, uh, or smart there, you could argue either way, but again, it's an accelerant. Like if you were struggling before COVID you're screwed, right? You're just, you're not going to, you're not going to make it through this. Uh, but I've actually been amazed and, and frankly, like humbled by, by some of the stories that I've heard, uh, like the breweries that literally went from a tap room model to a canning model in a week or a month. You know, I, I was talking to a really successful restaurateur the other day that completely changed their entire ordering system. I uh, used to order, they had this fun little way of, of, you know, you writing on a paper, what you wanted and you put it in a little cup and your server comes and gets it. Uh, they, they moved to a, kind of a phone-based model where you sign up when you walk in and at any time you want something, you hit a button, it goes straight to the kitchen and, and you have a, a server running it. They said that they've, they've uh, improved their labor margins by, by a massive amount and their, their customer satisfaction at the same time, uh, which is just crazy. So I think that 
you know, American ingenuity and, and, you know, kind of the, the bootstrap model of like, we're going to figure this out. Obviously PPP money saved a lot of these guys, but I've been thrilled at, at the resiliency of, of the guys in the, in the business and, and certainly hope that, you know, the worst is behind us and, and that we can move on. So final question here, as we wrap up, if you could change one thing about Charlotte's retail scene, what would it be? And, uh, you know, it could be something directly about your business or something more broadly, whatever. Uh, risk taking, uh, I think would be really cool. Um, you know, it's still, you know, these deals are expensive to do. Um, I, I've had a lot of discussions lately about kind of micro retail. I think that's a really cool idea. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of taking the, the food hall model and, and putting it into, you know, soft goods, you know, the rent, the rent and the, the areas that people want to be in is, is expensive and, you know, doing a big 10 year lease with a big rent number, you know, it, it's daunting unless you're really, really good at it and you're proven. So, you know, the ability to take risks, the ability to do smaller deals, um, would be, would be really interesting. I, I think that would be, I think that's something that we need. Uh, so that, that'd be one thing that I would, you know, if I had a magic wand, I'd, I'd want to, uh, develop a couple of those things just to give more people opportunities because frankly, you know, selfishly, you know, that's where you see innovation, uh, and, you know, giving these people a chance to, to try something I think is important. Adam Williams, legacy real estate advisors, where can people find you? Where can they find your podcast and, uh, and the stuff that you're doing? Uh, you can, I'm, I'm all over the place. Adam Williams, CRE, uh, social LinkedIn, uh, Adam Williams. Luckily it's a super unique name. So there should only be one, one Adam Williams out there. Yeah. So LinkedIn, Adam Williams, CRE on social retail redeveloped is my podcast. If you want to really nerd out about retail stuff, uh, you can find it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, you can email me, uh, a Williams at legacycre.com. Uh, Legacy uh, Real Estate Advisors is is the company, and yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. And and uh, you know, I always love nerding out about retail for a little while. Thanks so much for joining. Hope I get to see you in person. Uh, not recording in this closet sometime soon. IRL. I learned that the other day from from somebody younger than than me in real life. Hopefully, we get we get together IRL soon, Eli. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte.